Welcome to the Fueled AF podcast, where we educate you on ways to fuel your mind, body, and soul. We're your hosts, Alex and Avery. Now let's jump in. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to the Fueled AF podcast. Happy freaking Friday. Happy October. So nuts. Every month we do this. It's so nuts. I can't believe we're here another month. Um, we are really excited about October. We actually just started our on the go October challenge with our clients, which is focused around getting our steps in, which is actually really helpful. I don't know about you, Avery, but super helpful for me. Cause obviously as like the weather starts to shift steps can be something that's kind of like, Oh, I'm not as motivated to go outside. Cause it's not like beautiful outside. Like it has been. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a good timing for this challenge to make sure we're still prioritizing that. So super stoked about that. Um, we're also really so- excited for this week's episode. So actually Avery came up with this idea and I was thinking like, yes, this would be so, so good. Like, I wish I had something like this when I first start got started in health and fitness, because there's so many terms out there and people say so many things and like, it, it can get confusing. Like it really can. So we're going to be doing a breakdown of some health and fitness terms for you guys. Um, this will be part one. So this is more so like for the beginner terms. And then we'll eventually do a part two with some more like advanced terms on there. Um, is there anything you want to add to that Avery before we jump in? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking of this idea just as a resource for, newer like gym goers or just anyone who's kind of wanting like to know some basics about health and fitness. Um, I think especially if you're starting to dive into a more structured routine or maybe you kind of set some specific goals for yourself, which if you haven't set specific goals for this month, like this is, I, even though it's kind of arbitrary, like the beginning of the month, Alex and I have said this before, but like, I always feel I feel like it's very helpful to have like a fresh start of a new month. So if you haven't set some new goals, now might be a good time to set some goals for, for October. But um, I feel like this could be a really helpful resource for just anyone who's kind of wanting to get some basic knowledge and feel a little bit more confident along their journey and communicating, asking questions about all this stuff, because um, yeah, it can get a little overwhelming. Um, and there's a lot of info out there that I think um, can be kind of a lot to try to process. So Hopefully this episode is like a all in one place for you guys to get this info. Um, and like Alex said, we do have a part two coming. So um, more kind of advanced, nuanced um, stuff going into that episode. Sure. Yeah. And I think it's helpful too, because if you guys listen to any other of our episodes, like we, we will spout out a lot of these terms, just kind of assuming people know what they are. So this is a really good kind of opportunity if you don't know what those terms are to like really kind of get yourself familiar with them. So yeah, let's go ahead and dive in. Do you want to kick it off with the workout terms? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and kind of start with a different workout terminology. First one is resistance training, which sounds pretty basic, but essentially what resistance training is, or sometimes referred to as strength training is essentially exercise that involves performing something that's designed to improve your strength. So you're working against some form of resistance. Um, it could be body weight resistance. It could be a, you know, a weight, it could be Um, a band, it it could be gravity, like there's so many different things. Um, But essentially, you are putting some form of resistance um, as a challenge. Um, Most of the time, it's going to be weights. So pretty much when you hear resistance training, strength training, you can kind of assume that there's some sort of like weightlifting involved. Definitely. 
So next we have, I'm going to do sets and reps together um, just because they kind of do go hand in hand. So sets is basically referring to like the amount of reps that you're going to be doing in a row between rest periods. So I'm just going to give a quick example. If I have, I think bicep curls is the example I use for reps. So if I have bicep curls that I'm doing in my workout programming, I may have three sets of bicep curls, meaning that I'm going to have three different portions where I'm going to be performing a specific amount of reps, which brings me to reps, which is short for repetitions. And that's basically the amount of the exercise that you're going to be doing. So if I'm doing three sets of 12 bicep curls, then I know that the reps are 12. So I'm going to complete 12 bicep curls. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is definitely really, really important to know, especially as you're kind of going into resistance training and strength training. Um, We're going to be talking about progressive overload next. So knowing your sets and reps is going to be really important, especially when it comes to getting better over time and and putting more demand on your muscles. It's going to be really important to keep track of those two. Yes. And just one more thing about that, just because I actually recently had a client, a client ask me this question. So with the sets and reps, they'll typically be written out as like a, a number in the front. That's going to represent how many sets you're doing. So like Alex said, if you're doing three sets of 12, it'll say three times 12. So that's indicating, okay, you're doing three sets of bicep curls. Every set you're doing is going to have 12 reps. Um, and I, I had a client ask me like the other day, um, someone that I work with outside of forever flourish. And she was saying like, do I rest in between these? Like, what, do, what do I do? So yes, you want to make sure that you're resting in between those. So one, one set is you're doing those 12 reps, you're resting, and then you're going to set two. So just to kind of make that very crystal clear. Um, next term we have on here, like Alex was kind of alluding to is progressive overload. Um, which is such an important term and really just the basis of how you're going to see improvement and get stronger in the gym. But essentially it's a technique that you're gradually increasing the challenge or the intensity, the stress that you're putting on your body um, as you progress. So like Alex said, it's really important to keep track of your sets and your reps over the course of your program so that, you know, on the second time you do your workout, when you're doing those bicep curls, you can look back and see, okay, Last week I did three sets of 12 at 10 pounds. Today I'm going to see if I can do three sets of 10 at 15 pounds. So I'm going to drop the reps down a little bit, but I'm going to see if I can up the weight or I'm going to see if I can get one more rep than I could last week. Um, So that's essentially how you would be implementing progressive overload as an example. There's lots of different ways to do that. Um, But essentially what it is, is you're progressively making the, the exercise more challenging. Which is vital if you're really wanting to perform muscle mass. Yes, yes. And if you are interested in, I'm probably just going to, there's going to be so many episodes that we plug throughout this, but I, we have to refer back to the beginner's guide to health and fitness because we do go into um, kind of like how to apply that a little bit more. Um, That might be a good, like a good episode to refer back to once you listen to this. Um, But next up, Alex, you want to go next? So next we have compound movements and isolation movements. So compound movement is a movement where you're recruiting multiple muscle groups. So these, we talk about this in the beginner's guide to health and fitness, um, part one episode. Um, but these are going to be really awesome movements to incorporate at the beginning of your workout throughout for the day. Um, just because like I said, they are recruiting more than one muscle group. You're going to be able to lift more with these movements, um, which will allow you to use more of your energy. Um, so that's why we always say like putting those at the beginning of your workout is really important, but that's what a compound movement is, is uh, a movement that's going to recruit multiple muscle groups. 
An isolation movement is the type of movements we like to have after compound movements. And these are ones that are going to be targeting a specific muscle group. So you're not going to be able to lift as much weight because you're not recruiting multiple muscle groups, um, but they are still very, very necessary to incorporate into your training split. Like I said, we kind of talked more about how to create like a split, which by the way, a split, that's, that's another term we should throw yeah. on here. Yeah. Um, a split is basically the days that you have planned throughout the week on like the targeted days that you're going to be working out. So an example is, um, somebody who's going to work out four days a week might have two upper body days and two lower body days and have those kind of not obviously back to back. Um, so that's just an example of like what a split would look like. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, It's essentially, it's, I'm, it's essentially like how you're splitting up your training across a week or, um, you know, how, however many workouts you have a week, how you're going to divvy up your training and divvy up how you're training each muscle group. Yeah. Um, so that's going to depend on your goals, how many days a week you're training, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that's a really good one to add in there. Um, next one we have on here is dynamic and static stretching. So, um, dynamic stretching is going to involve more active movement. So the word dynamic kind of gives you a hint there, like you're actively moving through these stretches. Um, this is often going to be before your workout. So a dynamic warmup, um, involves those dynamic stretches. So, um, you are often mimicking the movements that you're about to do in the workout, um, to prepare your body to do the workout. And then on the other side of that static stretching, which is essentially the opposite is instead of moving through those stretches, you're holding a pose or a stretch for an extended period of time. So this is going to be typically post-workout. So your muscles are nice and warm. Um, and you're, you know, holding like a quad stretch or whatever stretch it is for 30 to like 60 plus seconds. Um, really important way to cool down, improve your mobility, um, help with injury prevention, help with soreness. Um, so that's kind of the, the dynamic and the static stretching, but in general, dynamic comes pre-workout static comes post-workout. Yep. Yep. Next one we have on here is range of motion. You want to chat about that one? Yeah. So we have range of motion next, which you guys might see as R O M. It stands for range of range of motion. Basically what this is, is like the, the capability of your whole joint to go through the whole entire spectrum or movement of a certain exercise. So your full range of motion is being able to perform that whole exercise to its best capability with each mm. joint. Yes. Um, that's another thing that can be adjusted to like to make an exercise more or less challenging. So, you know, if you're squatting like halfway down, it's going to be a lot easier than squatting like all the way down to 90 degrees, for example. Yes, it could be um, a of progressive overload, you guys. There's yes. definitely different forms of progressive overload. Yes. And you can see how like all these terms build on each other, mm -hmm. which reminds me of like... <laughs> in all my college classes and you know, someone asked the question, like, is this going to be on the final? Like, is the final cumulative? Yeah. And they're like, it's not cumulative, but everything does build on each other. So blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyways, um, I'm really glad I'm not in school anymore. Um, okay. Next up we have superset. So a superset is two exercises performed back to back. So going back to the bicep curl example, um, not just doing a regular set would just be you're doing those 12 reps of your bicep curl, you're resting, and then you're going to go back to it once you're done. A superset, you do those 12 reps of your bicep curl, and then you would do 12 lateral raises, let's say. So you're putting two exercises back to back. Um, this is another way to increase the intensity of your workout. So you obviously aren't, you're very minimal rest between those two exercises. Um, 
So that is what a superset means. Yes. Um, yeah. So next well, we have a drop set on here. So this is basically when you're performing a set of a specific exercise, but instead of just doing the given amount of reps that you have within that set at the same amount of weight, you're going to be dropping the weight until fail failure. These are really good to utilize. Definitely. Like at the end of a workout, I love to use these as like burnout exercises mm -hmm. um, because it really can, you can push yourself mentally too with a drop set knowing like, Hey, like as many reps as I can get, with this given weight. And then I can drop it usually by like, I would say 10 to 30%, depending on how much you can actually do. Um, but that's what a drop set is. So if I'm performing a bicep curl and I start with 10 pounds or I'm going to start with a little bit more, if I'm starting with 20 pounds on a bicep curl, um, I'm going to do as many reps as I can with that 20 pounds. And then I'm going to move down to 15 pounds immediately after I go until failure at the 20 pounds. And then after I complete it with 15 pounds, I'm going to go to 10 pounds after that. So that's what, that's an example of like what a drop set would look like. Mm -hmm. Yep. If you've never tried them before, definitely, They're the best. definitely do it. They're very humbling. Um, next thing we have on here is HIT or H I I T, which stands for high intensity interval training. Um, so I feel like this is a really like probably most people have heard of HIT, um, but it's exactly what it sounds like: high intensity interval training. So high intensity just meaning that your heart rate is elevated. Um, it's going to be challenging. Typically, it's high impact, um, which means that you are doing like jumping or something that's, um, you know, you're, you're hitting the ground with a decent amount of impact. So it's not going to be like yoga or like things like that. Um, and then the interval part of it is just kind of the structure of the workout. So essentially, you're instead of doing reps or sets, you're based on time. So, okay, you're going to work for 30 seconds, rest for 10 seconds. Um, and the idea behind this is that during that work period, you're going all out, like as hard as you can. So the work period is relatively short. And then the rest period is also relatively short. You're recovering and then you're hitting it as hard as you can again. Mm -hmm. yeah. And this is definitely different than resistance training. Um, yeah. Like Avery said, this is higher impact training. We typically don't program our clients for high intensity training. Um, of course there's a time and a place. And if it's something that you enjoy doing, we, we talked about that, I think on last week's episode on like what type of training should, should I be doing? Um, but yeah, it, it is different than weight training and it's not high intensity training is not optimal for muscle growth. If that's what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And one other thing really quickly about, about hit is that, um, it, it is pretty high stress on the body. Um, like I said, it's typically pretty high impact, which means that you're putting a decent amount of impact on your joints. Um, like you're, you're jumping and you're doing like burpees and whatnot. Um, so I will say that I, although it can be a great, um, accessory to your training, especially if you enjoy it. Awesome. Um, but just keep in mind that it definitely can place extra stress on your body that just basically gives your body something else it has to recover from. So if you're really focused on like getting stronger, growing muscle, your performance in the gym, uh, maybe you're in a, in a deficit, you're in a diet, um, just know that this is going to place more recovery demands on your body. Not, and so I'm not saying it's necessarily a good or bad thing. It's just something to be aware of. Yes. Yes. So, um, so on kind of the other side of that, we have low intensity, steady state cardio or LISS, L-I-S-S. Um, so again, pretty self-explanatory based on what I just said, but Low intensity, meaning that it's going to be a much easier, less intense, lower heart rate um, style of workout. 
steady state, meaning that rather than like working for 30 seconds, resting, working for 30 seconds, um, you're going to be working the entire time, but it's a much milder pace. Um, it's something that you can sustain for a long period of time, like a walking pace or a hiking pace. Um, definitely a lot less stress and recovery placed on the body when you do this. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love me some low intensity cardio. Me too. (laughs) Oh yeah. So next we have RPE, which stands for the Borg rating of perceived exertion. We actually, I think Avery, you may, may, may have done a live in our Facebook. I, I did. Yeah. Um, but basically what this is, is it's a kind of a way of measuring like the activity intensity level that you're doing. Um, so it's kind of like a scale that you would look at and there's like a number that you would be, that would be ideal that you'd want to stay in, but it's basically just how hard you feel like your body is working. Mm-hmm. Um, but Avery's done a live on this and I do believe we've done a couple posts on the FFC page about this. So if you want more like information or you want to kind of see a chart of what this looks like, yeah. definitely check out our Instagram page. Cause there's definitely one on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what RPE stands for. And I will say like, there are several different scales of measuring intensity. So yeah. The RPE scale is one out of 10. So one would be like very, very minimal effort and and 10 would be like maximum effort, right? So that's one way to kind of categorize it. There's RIR, which is um, reps in reserve. So like how many reps could you have done in addition to what you just did? Um, But essentially this is just a helpful, like having some way to measure the intensity is helpful. So that way, you know, when you're recording your exercise, you can say, okay, yeah, I did three sets of 12, but they were really hard. Like that was 10 out of 10 could not have done 13 reps. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe you're going to do 12 again next week instead of trying to go 13 and it's just going to get a little easier. Which Um, I will say most people don't train that hard. Like, um, I, I, it's great too, but like, I think it's funny how, you know, we think that we're pushing ourselves to like that 10 out of 10 exertion, Mm -hmm. but you definitely could push yourself more. I know I definitely can. And there's instances where I'm like, Alex, come on, like, you know, you can do more than this. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I would say, what, what what would you say is like the kind of more standard probably between like a, an eight is like, a yeah, one. I feel like between like a seven and eight is pretty okay. standard. Um, yeah. And there's so many different ways to measure right. like what, you know, difficulty, but Um, I think most of the time people confuse something with being like, like hard and like, yeah, like I can feel like this is challenging, but they can still do a lot of reps. So I think that the, the main thing that happens is that people stop when it starts to hurt and burn, but they could actually probably do a lot more reps. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily in correlation with like how painful the exercise is, which I know, you know, sometimes an exercise can be very painful, but like you and keep pushing through it but um totally side tangent but (laughs) yeah side tangent um next term we have on here last one for the kind of workout fitness section is doms d-o-m-s which stands for delayed onset muscle soreness um and this is essentially just the muscle pain and soreness that you experience um after you work out but not not just after, but kind of in a delayed onset of that soreness. So typically it's going to start like a day or two after the workout. Um, a lot of people, you know, like, let's say you do a leg workout on Monday, the next day you might be a little bit sore. And then the day after you're like, Whoa, like I am just like shot. So, um, 
this is also really common when you're first getting into working out or maybe you're just coming back to working out after a little hiatus. Um, or it's really difficult to see this, even if you've been training consistently, when you uh, start a new program, maybe you're doing different exercises, different style of training, um, different rep ranges. This is really common to see just because your body is kind of getting some new stimulus, new exercises um, that, you, that it hasn't adapted to over the course of that program. So very, very common. Um, the soreness will subside as you continue to train consistently, mm -hmm. um, foam roll, stretch, stay moving, stay hydrated, enjoy it. Cause it means you worked hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I remember when I very first like started getting into fitness and oh my gosh, the soreness was just next freaking level. Like it's so bad that it almost makes you not want to work out. But then you also think like, if I stop again, I'm going to have to go yeah. through the whole entire thing again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I used to like laugh and say like, oh my gosh, I'm literally, I like was walking like a fresh out of the womb, like baby deer. Cause like, I just couldn't even walk or sit down on the toilet or yeah. <laughs> my, my legs are so like, every time I sit down, I'm like, you know, it's like, you don't even need a foam roll. You just need to like sit down on the ground and you like feel your, yeah. but, oh, man. um, cool. So we're going to go ahead and dive into the next section, which is more like nutrition diet terms. Um, if you want to kick us off. Let's do it. So the first thing we have on here is macros or macronutrients. Um, this is basically referring to the, the main nutrients that you eat in your diet, which are your proteins, your carbs, and your fats. If someone is tracking their macros, they are tracking the grams of protein, carbs, and fats that they consume each day. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, macros is the same as macronutrients. It's just short. So when people are tracking macros, that's what it's referring to. Yes. And macros make up the calories that you're yeah. consuming, yeah, the which we didn't put calories on here. I don't even know if that would have been necessary, but calories are essentially just a unit of energy. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, your macros make up the calories that you're eating. Um, so each macronutrient has a specific number of calories per gram. Um, so I think that's one thing that people get a little bit tripped up on is like, should I track macros? Should I track calories? What's the difference? Um, if you're tracking your macros, you're kind of by default tracking your calories. If exactly. you're just tracking calories, you could you could be just tracking calories with without paying attention to the actual grams of protein, fat, and carbs that are making up those calories. I, and I always use the example as like, you can track your calories, but if you want to take it a step further, you're going yes. to track what makes up those calories. Yes. And the example I use is like anybody could go eat 2000 calories worth of Oreos if they want, right. but are they going to be closer to their health and fitness goals? I mean, probably not as close as they'd like to be. And they probably yeah. won't be there. Um, so if you're tracking your macros, you're tracking what makes up those calories, your proteins, your carbs, and your fats, which yeah. allows you to manipulate your diet so much further. Mm -hmm. Um, which I definitely, I mean, Avery and I are so pro tracking macros. Um, but yeah, it, it's awesome. I, love I would honestly that. think about it again. This is a, maybe a little bit too, um, too simplified, but to put it like, it's kind of like an, another example, like tracking calories, you might be able to control weight loss, but tracking macros, you're going to be able to control fat loss. And that's a big difference. Yep. There is a big difference between those two. And things. Muscle, muscle gain too. Yeah. Exactly. Muscle gain, body composition. So um, definitely if you're someone who's just tracking calories, highly recommend like educating yourself on macros, which hopefully this episode will help and starting to kind of dive into that. Um, next one we have on here is micros or micronutrients. So these are essentially the nutrients that your body needs in much smaller amounts. Um, so vitamins, minerals, things like that. Again, you can get a lot of this through your diet, a whole food diet, um, 
a lot of people also supplement their diet with different supplements to help them reach those macros. Um, especially like in today's day and age, I feel like our food and our soil isn't quite as enriched with those things. So that's something that's really common to see people supplement, not everything, but, um, yeah. So like just your vitamins and minerals, um, which I will say with tracking macros, um, you're not by default tracking your micros. Um, so that is one thing to consider when you're tracking macros is to also make sure that you're at least aware of, you know, how much, like your vitamin and mineral content. Um, cause that's definitely a big part of, of your health. So yeah, we actually just did a post on Monday on the FFC page about this, um, kind of how like macros, oh, uh, yeah. you know, it, the I, I, F, M is I, if it fits your macros mentality, I have to like say it in my head to see if that's mm-hmm. how it's actual. Um, but we actually just did a, a post on that. And, you know, some people, when they first get started tracking macros, I know this definitely applied to me when I first got started, it's so easy to just get consumed by tracking your proteins, your carbs, and your fats, and that's it. Um, but your micros are very, very important to your, the quality of your life to the way that you feel. Um, so something that Avery and I definitely put a lot of emphasis on, especially with clients that get really good at tracking macros is we start to make that shift more toward focusing on like the quality of their nutrition. And we're, when we're talking about quality where we are referring a lot to the micronutrients that are found Mm -hmm. in your food. So Mm -hmm. super important to incorporate just to make sure that you are truly feeling your best because yes, you could be hitting your macros, but not even close to hitting any micronutrients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I think there's some, there's a, you know, there's a kind of a saying out there that's uh, like not all calories are created equal, which Mm -hmm. I agree. And I disagree with this because a calorie is a calorie. You know, you have one calorie of an Oreo and you have one calorie of a apple. It's one calorie. Um, However, I, I also completely agree with the statement of calories aren't created equal in the sense that what you're getting out of those calories is not the same. So back to the Oreo example, like if you have a hundred calories of Oreos versus a hundred calories of like chicken, let's say what you're getting out of the, those hundred calories of Oreos, you're not getting, I, I, enjoy those Oreos. Like have those Oreos girl. But just from a purely like nutrition standpoint, you're not getting obviously the protein. You're not getting like the sustained energy. You're getting a lot more sugar. You're getting a lot more like artificial ingredients versus like out of that hundred calories of chicken, you're getting a lot more nutrients. You're getting sustained energy. Um, you know, you're getting like more vitamins and minerals. So that's just a way to, to think about it, but kind of we're coming to our next term, which is flexible dieting, um, which basically means that you're tracking your macros. So rather than following a diet that says, okay, you can, here's what you can eat. Here's what you can eat, or, um, you can't eat, um, carbs or whatever it is. Um, rather than following something that has kind of more specific rules, you're following a flexible dieting plan, which means that you hear your macros, you have a, a carb target, a protein car, uh, target, and a fat target. You can fill those macros however you choose. Yeah. Um, that's what Alex was kind of referring to when people get caught up in that if it fits your macros mentality, because it is possible to hit your macros eating not great food. You can hit your macros eating junk food. You could, you can. Um, however, you're probably not going to feel great. Right. Um, but that's kind of the point of, of flexible dieting is that there is room for all sorts of foods. Of course, you still want to have the majority of your food being like whole, whole food sources. But the point is that you can still fit in like fun treats here and there and realize like, oh, I can actually fit those into my day and still stay on track. Yeah. 
which is just so important when it comes to just having a healthy relationship with food. And that's why tracking macros is so beneficial to long-term sustainability because you're not telling yourself, oh no, I can't eat carbs or, oh no, Mm -hmm. I can't have these Oreos or this ice cream. Like, dude, if you want that, track it in and eat it like that. And that's Mm -hmm. the beauty of it. And it's, it's so cool. Like the power of allowing yourself to have those things, you're going to find, you probably don't even want them as bad as you think Mm -hmm. when you actually Mm -hmm. allow yourself to have them. And that's honestly the first thing I tell clients when they're like, I'm really like, I'm really just been craving junk food. I've really been craving like sweets and stuff. I'm like, pre-track, put that in right away, whatever you want, ice cream, cookie, whatever you want, put it in plan to have that. That is part of your plan. When you eat that, you know, I'm on track. I'm, I shouldn't feel guilty. I'm not like been like, this is, I planned on eating this. And so if you have those planned into your day, it's less of like a, oh my gosh, I'm doing something bad. It's like, oh no, I was planning on eating this. Yeah. Yeah. So there's good. this girl I follow on TikTok. I forget her name. It's like Beth fitness or something. Um, but she was talking about how they're doing, she's like having a Halloween candy thing on her TikTok where she's like telling people to eat a piece of candy get their favorite Halloween candy and eat a piece after every single meal, every single day. And by doing that, you're allowing yourself to have these things and you're, you'll find that your want for them becomes so much less and less because you're not telling yourself, no human nature. You guys, if you don't know this by now, if you tell yourself you can't have something or can't do something, you'll only want it more. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you, when you allow yourself to incorporate those things, like it's, like Avery said, it's so much guilt free, which really does allow you to have just a good relationship with food. And you don't feel like you're, you know, like, Oh my God, this diet fucking sucks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But anyway, um, cool. So next thing we have on here is meal plan. So this is kind of in contrast with what we just described with flexible dieting. So with a meal plan, you're given a very specific plan of exactly what you're going to eat, exactly how much, So instead of me saying, okay, Alex, here's your macros, here's your calories. Um, I'm going to say, okay, Alex, here's your meal plan. So for breakfast, you're going to have a cup of oats with a a cup of egg whites, whatever it is. Um, And whoever has written that meal plan has, you know, calculated out, okay, this person has like, you know, they, they have those targets in mind and they've kind of created a meal plan for you to hit those targets. Um, And at first it might seem like, okay, that seems way easier than macros. Like I, I have people ask me all the time, like, okay, how, how much for meal plans? Do you do meal plans? Um, first thing to know about that only person who legally should be doing it is a dietitian. They're the only person who can, cause technically it's almost like you're prescribing yeah. some, something to someone like, okay, I'm prescribing this meal plan to you. Um, however, there's a lot of like coaches out there or just, yeah, people out there who do that anyway. Um, But essentially with meal plans, like you're just not getting the flexibility and the freedom that you would get with flexible dieting. Um, There's definitely a time and place for them. I'm not saying they're bad by any means, but typically I think that a meal plan is just a very short term fix. And then you become reliant on that meal plan and you don't actually learn or educate yourself about nutrition, portion sizes, listening to your body, all that good stuff. Yeah. I think there's a time and a place for a meal plan for sure. If you're somebody who you're maybe competing and that's what your coach is having you do. Or maybe you, um, have some sort of condition where you're going to benefit from that, but Mm -hmm. meal plans are definitely, if you're wanting to find 
like Avery said, flexibility and something that you truly can sustain relying on someone to tell you what to eat is not the way, um, you know, we, what I always say to people on consult calls is like mine and Avery's goal is to come in and see what are you already eating? What are the foods that you enjoy eating? Because obviously you're eating these consistently because you actually enjoy it. Right. How can we take a look at the things that you're already eating and kind of figure out, okay, well, how can we now make these fit macronutrient targets? So you can add more of specific things. If you want to switch up things, you're, you're allowed to, but within a meal plan, that's, there's no flexibility whatsoever. It's like, okay, cool. You're eating six ounces of broccoli, um, you know, 200 grams of chicken. Like it's, it's cut and dry. There's no Mm -hmm. flexibility. There's no, there's no way to really, learn about nutrition and 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 you know what like if you really are dead set on having a meal plan you can do that yourself set your macros exactly set your macros go on my fitness pal track a day to hit your macros eat that every day there's your meal plan yeah yeah i mean you're gonna get bored if you want to do the same thing every day good luck yeah i can't eat the same thing like twice in in a week so i so that's the other thing with meal plans is is you i think that i think the life likelihood of burnout is a lot higher. Yeah. But again, there's a time and place. Um, next thing we have on here is energy balance. Um, so this is essentially referring to the amount of calories you have coming in through food and drink, and then the amount of energy calories that you're burning. Um, so you can kind of imagine like a scale. So on one side, you have all the calories you're consuming. And then on the other side, you have all the calories that you're burning. Um, so depending on where that balance is, if the the two sides are balanced, if there's more coming in, if there's more coming out, that's going to determine kind of what happens on the scale. Um, so if you kind of want to get into those, do you want me to go into anything else more specifically on that? I was going to say, I mean, another thing you might hear is TDEE, which stands for total daily energy expenditure, which is basically the amount of calories that you're expending throughout the day, um, which is obviously very close to just what energy balance is in general. Um, but I do think in part two, we can maybe talk more about mm-hmm. TDEE and then like what kind of goes into that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I think, and all that. Yeah. I think essentially the main thing to know is that with food coming in, or the calories coming in, it's pretty, um, pretty straightforward. Essentially it's the food you're eating and and drinking. That's, that's pretty much it. Um, in terms of calories coming in calories coming out, it's a bit more nuanced because there's lots of different ways that you're burning calories throughout the day. I think we talked about this on another, like Alex said, basically TDE, there's lots of things that make up TDE. Um, and I feel like there's another episode somewhere where we talked about this, but yes, I think that um, if you are interested in kind of learning a little bit more about the details of that, um, we'll do check out part two, part two, it'll definitely be on part two, but I do think if you dig around, it's in an episode somewhere. And one thing I want to say, Avery, um, this is kind of aimed toward beginners. It just kind of sprung in my mind when you were talking about like the food and drink that you eat is like the calories that you consume. Something I do want to say, which obviously there's no like definition, but when you're tracking food, you guys, this is a mistake I know I for sure made when I first got into tracking and I, I've had several clients who've made this mistake. You're tracking everything. Like mm-hmm. if you're cooking with olive oil, you need to track mm-hmm. that because that does have calories. If you're it has drinking, a lot of calories. Yeah. A lot of calories. Very caloric <laughs> dense. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're, you know, using butter on something, if you're getting a coffee that has calories, like you Mm -hmm. need to make sure that you're tracking everything. It's not Mm -hmm. just the food that you're eating. Um, Mm -hmm. and like I said, I know that that was a very common, I, like when I first started tracking calories or macros, I never tracked olive oil and it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. 
there's a really big discrepancy within what I think I'm eating and what I'm yeah. actually eating. Yes. Yes. So that's um, and that can like, you, you might think to yourself, okay, I don't track the olive oil. What's that? 40 calories. Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe it's, that's it. Those things add up so quickly, like so, so quickly. Okay. Olive oil here, a, a handful of those there. You didn't track your coffee. Um, you know, maybe you didn't exactly, maybe you didn't, instead of weighing out your peanut butter, you just, you just eyeballed it, whatever those things are. Those add up shockingly quickly to where you think you're eating 2000, you're eating 2300 calories. That's the difference between you being in a deficit and you not being in a deficit. Like yeah, it's important. Yeah, so, but yeah, it we're important. talking to beginners in this episode, I'm like, I need to make that. That was a mistake that I know. Pretty yes. just try And that's another thing that I know we have, I don't know where we have this. I, I know. I don't know. Anyways, but I do think doing an entire episode, if you guys are interested on like tracking mistakes might be helpful or like best practices because um I do think there's a lot of nuances when it comes to like weighing out your food raw versus cooked like stuff like that like you know forgetting to measure um oils or like little things but yeah we actually have um that's in our course that our clients yes yes yeah we could definitely do an episode on that yeah um we want to kind of talk about bulking and cutting Okay. So bulking is basically the process of consuming calories in a surplus. So what I mean by a surplus is above your TDE. So above where I'm maintaining. So let's say I'm somebody who, um, which maintenance is on here too, but let's just say I burn 2,300 calories a day. So if I want to go into a bulk phase, which a bulk is oftentimes with the intention of putting on muscle mass. If I want to enter a bulk phase, I'm going to eat more than the 2,300 calories that I burn throughout the day. So in a surplus. So that's what bulking is. Cutting is basically the opposite of that. So it's a process of being in a deficit. So eating less than I burn um, in a way to lose body fat. So that's kind of the difference between bulking and cutting. Next, we have maintenance, which I kind of just talked about. Maintenance calories are the calories that you consume to maintain your physique. You're not in a deficit. You're not in a surplus. If I were to eat those 2,300 calories that I burn every single day, I'm not going to gain weight. I'm not going to lose weight. That's maintenance calories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bulking, cutting, and maintenance. Yes. Yeah. So those are essentially like kind of the three the three kind of main dieting phases, I feel like reverse dieting is kind of a main one too, but those are kind of the three main dieting phases. Um, meaning that like, you know, in each phase, like Alex just explained, your kind of your main focus is a little bit different. So your nutrition is going to be different. Um, okay. I think I'm just going to talk about reverse dieting really quick. Um, I think that kind of makes a little bit more sense. So reverse dieting is kind of what I would argue to be the fourth like dieting phase. And I think it's honestly just as, just as if not more important than the other ones. Um, I guess I can't say more important, but essentially with reverse dieting, um, it's exactly what it sounds like. So with a diet or with a cutting phase, you are decreasing the amount of food that you're eating. So you want to be in a deficit. Um, so you are over the course of that deficit, not all at once, but over that course of that deficit, you're dropping calories. Um, so a reverse diet is the opposite of that. So instead of dropping calories, you're gradually increasing your intake. So this happens very gradually. Um, but you are slowly over the course of the reverse diet, increasing your food intake. Um, and then typically if you're doing a reverse diet after a cutting phase, you're also going to be slowly decreasing the amount of cardio activity that you're doing. Um, 
So the main purpose behind a reverse diet is to essentially restore your metabolism. So um, when you're dieting for a long period of time or when you're just under eating for a long period of time, your metabolism adapts to that. Um, it starts to slow down. And so with a reverse diet, you are slowly reversing those effects um, by increasing the amount of food that you're eating and giving your body time to adapt to that. Um, let's see. And the, the main purpose for like coming out of a diet with a reverse diet is to maintain the results that you achieved with that diet. Um, so there's lots of different like reasons or like people who would go through a reverse diet, but the most like the most common too, I would say is if you're just super low calories and you're trying to increase your intake before you diet, or you just finished dieting and you're trying to get back to a healthy like lifestyle intake. So as like an example of this, you guys, if I went through a cut phase and maybe I ended my calories at like 1700 calories, 1800 calories, instead of me going from 1700 to that 2300 that I mm -hmm. maintain at, um, we're going to do it in a slower process because if I were to just go from 1700 calories and then boom, the next day start eating 2300 calories, it's not going to be very good for the results that I just made through my whole deficit because I will mm -hmm. gain weight. Um, my body is not used to that many calories. So it's, it might be really hard to eat that many calories because I've maybe adapted a little bit to the lower calorie intake. So reverse diet allows us to do that in a way where we can slowly introduce more calories so that a, your body will adapt and it's not going to be as hard to actually consume more calories. Um, but also B, you get to like Avery said, maintain those results that you just mm -hmm kind of worked for through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, I, I think the a big thing with reverse dieting is that people really focus on like the diet being the important part. And of course it is very important, but you should take the, if you are serious about, if you were at really serious during your cut, you need to be really serious during your, like think of the reverse diet after the cut, you're still dieting. Like yeah. think of it as that serious because that's what's going to really make or break maintaining those results. Um, and it, it is hard because as you reverse diet, like your, those hunger cues are going to come back. And so you might be like, wow, I'm eating more, but I'm even hungrier than I was, which is normal. Um, so it's going to almost feel like, okay, okay, my diet's done. Yay. But like, you still have to be disciplined for those several weeks or months after your diet. But and if you um, don't reverse diet, sorry, really quick. No, please. Yeah. We can talk about two in part two. Um, but if you don't reverse diet and you just stay at that 1700 calories, there's something called metabolic adaptation where your body will adjust to those 1700 calories. And now if you're, if you're doing that for an extended period of time, if you want to lose weight again or lose body fat, you need to be in a deficit from that 1700 calories. So mm -hmm. that's another reason why we reverse diets. Cause we don't want that to happen. We want to get you to eat as much as you can so that your metabolism is functioning really, really well. And then that also, whenever you go through your next diet phase, you're going to have better results rather than mm -hmm. having to cut yeah. calories extremely low. Right. Which is and hopefully the next time you diet, you'll be able to diet and lose weight with eating more food than yeah. you were before. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the idea. Um, cool. So last we have intuitive eating um, as far as like the nutrition topics that we're going to speak about today. So intuitive eating is basically a way of eating where you're kind of in tune with your body's natural hunger cues. Um, there's no tracking involved with intuitive eating. It's essentially trusting yourself around food and trusting to know exactly what you need in that moment. Um, I've talked about this a little bit before, but there's something called um, emotional hunger and physical hunger. And within intuitive eating, you really can define the difference between those. So if I'm somebody who typically gets like 
hungry when I'm bored sitting on the couch, but I'm not actually hungry. If I was super in tune with my body, I would be able to know that like, Hey, like I'm not actually hungry to eat right now. I'm it's just emotional hunger that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, you, you become more in tune with your body's natural hunger cue. So you'll know what your signs of physical hunger are, which aren't all, always like, Hey, your stomach's growling. Like mm-hmm. there's definitely different cues that your body will give you if you are hungry. Um, so yeah, basically what it means is a way of eating where you're not tracking, but you're just super freaking in tune with your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I, I would argue that this is something that I, I think for most women that we work with, this would be the end goal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, unless you have like serious health and fitness goals, intuitive eating, for the average person we work with is definitely an end goal. Yeah. Um, if you're not, you know, interested in tracking your macros for the rest yeah. of life. but very, very important to know a lot about nutrition before you enter this. That's why tracking macros before this is important. I actually heard someone the other day refer to it as instead of intuitive eating as informed eating, which I really like that term yes. because it, it implies that you're not just, you're not just eating intuitively, intuitively, but you're eating in a way that's listening to your body, but also backed up by knowledge and information about proper nutrition. Um, because I think when people hear intuitive eating, they think, Oh my gosh, well, I'm just going to eat ice cream and cookies all day. It's like, well, that's not really what it is. Um, and one more thing about that, just in terms of you were saying like for a lot of our clients, that is a long-term goal, which I think it's important to know, like, you don't have to just be like, I eat intuitively. I track macros. Like you can do both. Um, I don't, Alex, are you still eating intuitively right now? It's like 50, 50. I track sometimes and I don't, but more so a few months ago. Yeah. So there's an example right there. And I do this with some clients too, where they have one day or two days a week where they don't track and they practice intuitive eating. Or it could be that, you know, you spent some time tracking, you've gained a lot of knowledge. Maybe you went through a more dedicated reverse diet or cutting phase or whatever it is. You're going to take a break from that, you know, down the road. If you decide, Hey, I want to go through a more dedicated diet, or I want to, you know, really focus on getting, getting stronger and putting on some muscle. You can always come back to tracking. Um, yeah, it's, it doesn't have to be like, this is, you know, I'm this way, you're that way. So, um, last couple of things we have on here, just kind of random, like, um, random assortment of things. So first thing we have is biofeedback, which this is definitely a a kind of an umbrella term that we could get a lot more into, but Mm -hmm. essentially to put it in a nutshell, biofeedback refers to the different ways that your body is communicating to you about what's going on, how it's functioning, how it's feeling. So just to name a few sleep, digestion, energy, mood, um, hormones and menstrual cycle. Um, Stress is a big one too. Stress, yes. Um, there's, yeah, there's tons. Yeah. So essentially that's just different ways your body's communicating with you, which Alex does have an entire episode on biofeedback earlier in the podcast um, episodes to check out. Yeah, we should um, read that one though. I think that we could. Yeah, we should. More in depth. Biofeedback is a word, you guys, that you're going to hear Avery and I t- throw around so much on this podcast. Like we talk about biofeedback almost every single episode mm-hmm. because it's that important. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyways, biofeedback. Um, cool. So last two we have on here, um, are active rest day and rest day. If you want to kind of go into what those mean. Yes. So an active rest day is essentially you're taking the day off from your training split. Um, but you're still intentionally being active. It really is kind of what it sounds like. So on an active rest day, someone might, you know, still go for a walk. Maybe you'll go to the gym and do some yoga or some stretches, maybe hop on the Stairmaster for a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you're taking the full day off from your intentional training split. Yeah. 
Um, whereas a rest day is where you're taking the day off from essentially all of that. And you're giving your body a full day of rest. Mm-hmm. Um, you might still get your step going on like a full rest day, but, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a day where you're truly giving your body rest. I know for most of my clients, I do like to, I like to have at least one active rest day and at least one rest day, depending on how many days a week that they're training. Um, but both are really important. Yeah. Yeah. So I think an active rest day is just like, there might be some alternative exercise that is a lot less intense and it's more so designed to be beneficial to your training the next day. So typically for me on like an active rest day, um, I'll like hop on the Stairmaster for like 20 minutes and I'll stretch and I'll foam roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not doing anything that's going to be intent, like super taxing for yeah. the following day. Um, but even if you just have a day where, you know, you're not lifting, but you still have a, a step goal, you're still going on a walk, like awesome. Um, but yeah, rest days are super important and you know, you, you can't have a successful, training program like you can't successfully implement progressive overload without proper rest and recovery you say it all the time like if you're not taking rest days you're not training hard enough (laughs) yes exactly um so yeah that's kind of our list of terms for today i feel like we covered a lot um but like we said a few times we are going to have a part two to this episode um somewhere in the near future so definitely keep your eyes peeled for that and if there are any terms that you want us to dive into in that episode that you've been confused about definitely let us know Yes, that's it, you guys. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Friday. Bye.